Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. At C3, we exist to help people pattern their lives after Jesus. This message was first given as part of our teaching series at C3. Time to get into the Bible. We are continuing the Gospel of Mark. Last week we looked at Mark chapter 8, and we are into Mark chapter 9. We're on the back half of Mark. We finish after Easter, just to let you know. You were going to be here for a while, but it's been an amazing journey, and we're going to be looking at passage by passage, walking through the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus says this, and then he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led him up a high mountain where they were alone. Then he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there there he appeared before them, Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why, did, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it was written about him. It's a typical... Evening at the hunter's house, it's 6 p.m. This time of year, it's absolutely pitch black in the house. And it's a lot of fun if you turn off all of the lights. And uh, what we play a game called dinosaurs. The kids, they hide in the closet, they hide under the bed, they hide anywhere from the big bad dad who's stomping around the house like an angry T-Rex, growling, scratching the doors, banging on the walls. They are somewhere between laughing their heads off and being absolutely terrified. My youngest boy, Lucas, is only two, refuses to play. He's so frightened that he he refuses to play unless mom carries him around. And it's sometimes great to come around and stomp, but sometimes it's great to be quiet and let them come to me. So the big bad dad, he stomps around, hiding in the closet, and waits for them to pass by and jumps out at them. Or sometimes he hides around the banister 
at the edge of the stairs and waits them to walk by in the hallway, ready to jump on his boys and scare them half to death. I promise you, though, that as, as, as parent guideline, most of the time you do not want to hype up your kids right before they go to sleep. But our boys are strange, probably because they get it from their dad, and they sleep really calmly after all of this hype game. They are laughing, they are excited, and they are all terrified at the same moment. This is a type of revealing, a type of revelation to them. Nice catch, babes. That's awesome. Revelation can be surprising. It can be dramatic, always impactful, sometimes terrifying. Jesus reveals himself in a very special way in which we find in our passage. And it says the disciples, they're scared. They don't fully know what is going on. They're like, what is happening on this mountaintop experience? Today, we see a powerful and terrifying revelation of Jesus as what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. In verses 2 to 4, we, we, we read this. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and with him, or led him, and with him, led them up on a high mountain where they were alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. So Jesus invites his closest three disciples. So Jesus had 72 disciples, a wider group of disciples who were patterning their lives after Jesus, who he had called to be his students. That's what the word disciple means, student. They were, they were with their rabbi. But then he had a closer core, in which we read most of the time in the Gospels, is the 12, right? The 12 disciples who are kind of with Jesus most of the time, being with Jesus, um, spending time with him, watching him, uh, and him uh, do ministry, imitating some of his ministry, and then they'll be kind of left in charge uh, after his death and resurrection. But Jesus had this inner core group of, this, of Peter, James, and John. And Peter, James, and John got to see things that the 12 didn't get to see, and they got to see things that the wider disciples didn't get to see, that these were the, the Jesus' closest to him. When Jesus needed people of great faith, when he went to go heal and raise Jairus' daughter, what we find early in Mark, he only took Peter, James, and John. It's in this passage on the Mount Transfiguration that he only takes Peter, James, and John with him. And it will be as Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane that he takes his closest followers with him, the ones that he can rely on them the most, yet they still fall asleep on him, which means there's still hope for me and you. In ancient times, the mountains were like the suburbs of the heavens. This was the kind of place on a mountaintop where if you wanted to talk to God, that's where you went. Often when I read about spending time or on these mountaintop experiences, I think about Moses when he came down from the mountain after the Ten Commandments and his, his face was radiant with the presence of God. And here you have, on his right and his left, the big Hall of Famers of the Old Testament. 
On one side was Moses. Moses is like, he's the dude from the Old Testament. And Moses is a representation of the law. Everybody respected Moses. And on his other side stood Elijah. Elijah represents the great prophet, right? That Elijah did some crazy things. And when he called his God's people, when they were, in a, when they were far away from God, they, he was calling them back into this intimate relationship with God. And so on one side, you have uh, uh, Moses. And one side, you have Elijah. These are kind of the great hall of famers. And in the middle was Jesus, And Jesus' clothes were wider than anything that could bleach them. He was radiant with the presence of God. And what this moment shows you is that Jesus is more than just fully human. That we believe that Jesus was fully human, but he was also fully God. And that's what this moment shows us. It shows us the divinity of who Jesus really was and is that he is fully human and he is fully God. He is the man God. It goes on to say this. Peter decides to open up his big fat mouth, which Peter always seems to do. And what I've been doing as I've been following Peter through the gospel, what I'm realizing, it's really good to think before you talk. Because in our previous passage, what we read from chapter 8, Jesus says that he's going to die and he's going to suffer many things. And so he, he pulls... Jesus aside, and it says that Peter rebukes Jesus, in which Jesus gives him the biggest slam of all time and says, get behind me, Satan. You do not want to be called Satan. That is for sure. That's, I realize that. But Peter, again, in this passage, has not learned his lesson from the previous passage, and he again, again opens his mouth without really knowing what he is saying. And he says this. He says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, And one for Elijah. And it says this in parentheses. He says, he did not know what to say. I love that. Sometimes I don't know what to say. They were so frightened. Peter, James, and John, they were all so frightened at what they were experiencing. Even though it was like this awesome, glorious moment. And so Peter thinks it's great to make these kind of makeshift booths up there. And we don't really know why Peter says this. Maybe it was close to uh, the, the, uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles, like kind of these makeshift booths that they would make to kind of celebrate the, the, uh, their, their 40 years in exile, kind of these week-long booths. Or it could have been that maybe they, he wanted to make these booths so that they could hang out on this mountaintop a little bit longer. We have no idea why Peter says this, but he says it. But I love what the father does, is that the father is about ready to speak. He doesn't even address Peter. He's just like, okay, all right, squirrel brain, let's get refocused right here on what is supposed to happen. It says this in verse 7. It says, Then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they look around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. 
In the Old Testament, God's presence often came in the form of a cloud. If you remember through exile and the story when Moses led the people out of Egypt and into the promised land, that they would wait for the pillar, the the cloud, to follow God's presence. This was a clear sign that God was with them, that they were following God. When the temple was dedicated, this thick cloud just filled the entire temple as they worshiped and they praised God. And sometimes as we worship here, not that you physically f- see kind of like smoke, but sometimes you might feel like there's a really like this thick presence of the Holy Spirit. And I, I feel like God still comes like this in this way that sometimes there's like these really thick moments where we can just really sense that God is in the room and that he wants to do something in and through our lives. And then the Father speaks these wonderful words of affirmation. He says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. If you remember back to Mark chapter 1, there's a similar phrase, right? When Jesus is baptized, right, that that the father's voice comes upon Jesus and says, you are my son. And there's this picture of the Holy Spirit coming and descending on Jesus like like a dove, Right? And, and at Jesus' baptism, his baptism was affirming Jesus' identity to him. It was for Jesus. But here, this is a little bit different. The father adds another line and says, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Where Jesus' baptism was to affirm Jesus' identity about himself. This is for the disciples This is my son. He's not just a rabbi. He's the son of God. This is Jesus in your presence. This is my son, part of the Godhead. At that moment, the Hall of Famers seemed to disappear. Moses and Elijah. And even though these guys are great and they're Hall of Famers and they mean a lot, there is only Jesus there which our passage points us to, that Jesus is greater than both Elijah and Moses. This is my son. This is the transfiguration. The word transfiguration is the same word in the Greek as transformed. This is a revealing moment that God is trying to get the attention of the disciples. We too have revelation moments. It could be on a Sunday. It could be during worship, during a sermon. It could be in your devotion. It could be at a conference, maybe a worship conference or a spiritual pilgrimage that you're on. Maybe it's at your connect group. But God, who speaks in the Bible, can still speak to you today, that he's trying to get your attention in some way, that God still reveals himself Jesus speaks to us, he challenges us, he corrects us, he inspires us. But the point in all of this isn't just to have a mountaintop experience. That we're missing something in our lives if we just um, have this mountaintop experience and we have no step or no change in our lives from that experience. That that not only are we supposed to have revelation from Jesus, revelation from the Holy Spirit in our lives, but also we are to take a step of obedience in the full power of the Holy Spirit. 
When God spoke to his disciples, he said, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And what's really interesting about this is that the disciples, they did not go just back down the mountain the same that they were before. They were changed forever. And they were discussing, what does this mean? What does this mean that he will rise from the dead? And I think that we miss something in our lives. When we have an encounter with God, we have this really special moment where God stirs our hearts or warms our hearts. We have this encounter with him and we leave the same that we were before. I think for some of us, we go back down the mountain the way that we, come, that we went. For others of us, we just want to stay there on the top of the mountain. For a lot of us, like Peter, that we just kind of want to build these three shelters, and we just kind of want to hang out in this moment and just bask in the glory of Jesus forever. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's awesome worshiping Jesus. But Jesus calls the disciples forward. And what's really interesting is the Mount of Transfiguration kind of divides the whole book of Mark. Because the back half of Mark leads us down the mountain where Jesus will soon be betrayed, he'll be beaten, and he'll die a death on the cross. That at that moment, all of his disciples will run for their lives. Going back down the mountain can be terrifying. But God calls us forward and he goes with us through these terrifying moments, even though they, there could be a great challenge in front of us. Whatever it might be in your life, maybe God's asking you to change a bad habit. Maybe God's calling you uh, to open up to other believers. Maybe God's calling to lay down pride or arrogance and to humble yourself. Maybe God's trying to break an addiction or a, a sin pattern in your life that God continually to speaks to us and shows himself, himself to us. But as his disciples, as his followers, we are called to respond to those times. I know when God's trying to get my attention. I can remember several times being in just in worship, it's usually always through uh, the worship that God tries to get my attention. And I know that God gets my attention because I just am moved to tears. And I know that this is God moving and worked in, working in my life because I hardly ever cry. In fact, my wife, someone, sometimes when we watch a movie or there's something very meaningful, she's like, what is wrong with you? Like, why won't you just cry? Why don't you be human? And when I do cry, she's always like, oh. That's so wonderful. And I'm like, get off me. Get off me. Leave me alone. But I can just remember over the last 10 years, 15 years of really walking intimately with the Lord. And I can remember having these really, these, these times, and they weren't always these really impactful, or they were always these really impactful moments that, that really were far and few between. But in those moments, I could remember them, and it changed my life. It pulled me and propelled me forward into the new thing that God was calling, which has always been great, but sometimes scary to go back down the mountain the other way. But if you choose to camp out on the mountain, like Peter was saying, those three shelters, you will never grow into the full maturity to be like Christ. 
In a deep encounter with uh, God, he affirms his identity with us. He loves us. He affirms his blessing upon our lives. He brings healing to our souls. And in those moments, we have to decide, are we just going to try to camp out there? Are we going to take the safe path back for where we came from? Are we going to follow God down the mountain the other side? We have to choose. And I think some of the times that we have these incredible encounters with God or God's stirring our heart, we feel all this emotion well up in us, right? That, that we worship God on a Sunday morning and it's just like you know that thing in your life that God's trying to get your attention of and you're like, let's just sweep it under the rug. Let's just distract ourselves by scrolling through social media. Let's just get breakfast after worship. Let's just drown out the noise with noise and put on the next football game. By the way, did the Colts win? The Colts, we don't know. Nobody knows. Such great anticipation for the three of us that care in here that are still following the Colts. The revelation of Jesus should lead to a response in our life. Here's a hard truth. Information alone does not make you a disciple. Bible studies are awesome. If you want to learn Greek and Hebrew, have at it. But information alone does not lead to a transformed life. There is a difference between uh, in information capital and spiritual capital. Intellectual capital says, I know the right answer. And in the church, that answer is always Jesus. Yes, somebody went to Sunday school. Yes. But spiritual capital means submitting yourself to Jesus. It's laying your life down. It's responding to what Jesus wants to do in your life. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, stepping into what God wants you to do and imitating his life so that you can be with Jesus you can be transformed to be like Jesus or transfigured to be like Jesus and then go and do what Jesus did. And I'll be honest, there are a lot of pastors out there who are theologically brilliant and seminaries have trained them to exegete the passage correctly and to learn the right Greek and right Hebrew words and have all of this wealth of knowledge, yet... I know because I went to seminary with some of those people. That is not being a disciple of Jesus. It's, it's part of it, and it's good to learn. I'm not downing or, or trying to dampen the knowledge part. Yeah, we're to have the mind of Christ. But we're also to lay our lives down completely, to submit to him, to respond to the thing that God is calling us to do to be the new life God calls us forward, which can sometimes feel terrifying. That's why we try to drown it out with the noise and the busyness of our everyday lives. Nicky Gumbel says this. He says, mountaintops inspire us, but valleys mature us. The mountaintop is safe, and we need those mountaintops we need those mountaintops, affirmation, times of worship, and celebration. 
but the valley is dangerous. But one without the other leaves us stagnant in our faith. Without revelation and response, we will never fully be disciples of Jesus. Revelation's about an encounter with God. It's about hearing the Father's still small voice in your life. It's the response, is, the response is stepping into the new thing and the new person that God is calling you to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. We all wish that we could stay on that mountaintop, right? And just bask in the presence of Jesus. You know, I think if when you're walking with Jesus long enough, you can recall those moments, those special encounters, those, move, those moments where God just moves so much in your life. And we wish we could just stay there. And one day we will. One day we will be in heaven where we can bask in his glory together. And there will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. There will be no more war. There will be no more division. There will be singing. There will be dancing. There will be laughing. There will be joy for all eternity, enjoying Jesus' perfect presence. And on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But until then, God is doing a deeper work in your life, or he wants to do a deeper work in your life. When you hike up a mountain, the majority of the time is climbing and descending, climbing and descending. And if you like climbing mountains, if you do it more than once, you have to learn to enjoy the whole process. There are moments in our lives where we need to ascend the hill of the Lord and just worship him. And we get up there and we just go for it and we give him all. But then we follow God and the Holy, we follow the Holy Spirit into the new thing he is calling us forward to. When you have a mountaintop experience, don't leave that moment unchanged. The father in this passage says, this is my son. Every good revelation of Jesus needs to have a response. Another way to say it in which we say it in our church is, what is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Another way, if you don't like us saying that, it's like, oh man, that sounds too Pentecostal for me. What's God saying to you? How is God nudging you? How is he convicting you? How is he trying to get your attention today? Giving you that nudge, that warm heart, that stir. Take a step. Don't leave this place or leave a time of worship or your connect group or wherever, wherever it is that you have that revelation, that moment, your devotion even. Don't leave that moment without taking a step, a response. Talk with somebody. Pray with somebody. That's why we have a prayer team over there every Sunday. You can talk with somebody. You can pray with somebody. Come and talk to me. Come Go talk to your connect group leader. Talk to your people at Alpha. Take the new step of obedience that God is calling you forward to. God is always up to something new in your life. He is calling us always forward to be the people that he has always created us to be, the new creation, as the Apostle Paul calls it, that we are to reflect and have the image of Christ in our lives, to be his sons and his daughters. 
So I'm going to leave us with these words just to think about for a moment, and I'm going to invite the band back up. Is put up that last slide again. Is What is God saying to you, and what are you going to do about it? Take a step forward today. Would you stand with me? If you would with me, would you just put out your hands in front of you? It's just a sign to say that I'm just open to whatever God wants to do in my life. Father, I pray that you would just reveal yourself in really known ways to each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that each one of us would be able to hear the still small voice of the Father. Not only to know that we are loved, but know who you are calling us to be. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, we wouldn't just leave it at revelation, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would respond, that you would give us the courage and the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would fill our lives afresh today. That, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just go back home and, leave, uh, and be the same people that we were yesterday and the day before. But, Lord, that you empower us to be your disciples. And, Lord, even though we might face great challenges tomorrow or the next day, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be bold, help us to be like Jesus, and help us to bring Jesus into the hurting world to bring the same healing and power and restoration that Jesus brought to our world. So, Lord, we pray, come Holy Spirit, would you empower us? Would you equip us? And would you send us? In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that this message helps you to grow in a relationship with Jesus. Connect with us at classiccitychurch.org.